Well, it is a blessing to be able to share with you this morning, to be able to dig into God's Word, and we're going to do that. Uh, but before we do, actually, I wanted to just give you a, a one brief announcement. Uh, we've been doing Sunday school in between the two services, and uh, really over the last month or so, the uh, lesson has really been very similar to what we've been talking about here on Sunday mornings uh, in our services. Uh, it's based out of the book of James, and they've talked about a couple of different things. They've talked about abortion. Uh, they've talked about taking care of widows and orphans. It's all very practical stuff. And today, according to the message that I got a few minutes ago, we're talking about human trafficking and the gospel's response to it. So I just want to encourage you, if you have the time available to you this morning after this service, uh, over in our sanctuary, we'll have Sunday school, and it will be beneficial, very practical stuff. So we invite you to come and be a part of that. In 1980, Mac Davis recorded the biggest hit of his musical career. It was a song entitled, Oh Lord, It's Hard to Be Humble. It became an international hit, and my guess is that many of you have heard it at at least some point in your life. It says, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Tim's sitting over here, I just got my first amen of the service already this morning. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. Mac Davis goes on to admire many different aspects of his perfection throughout the rest of the song. Of course, in many ways, this would be viewed as a comedic song, but the unfortunate reality is that humility really is a struggle for many in our world. Of course, it also shows up in many different ways for different people. For some, it is an arrogance about always being right. For others, it is a sense of always getting their way. And still for others, it is an unwillingness to consider the wants and the needs of those around them. Basically, me making sure that I get what I deserve. What I'll also say is that all of those examples can be rolled up into one, and that is a very ugly thing when it is. I would also add that it's safe to say that no politician has ever acted out of humility, at least in my lifetime. In fact, I'm not sure that many, perhaps a few public figures of any kind will act often in humility. Yet humility is exactly what God calls each of us as a part of the body of Christ to embrace. The book of James does address the importance of this humility in chapter 4. If you would, I'm going to invite you already, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be in chapter 4 today, and as we look, uh, we're going to be looking at the uh, verse 7 through verse 17 today. So I've done this every week, and I want to encourage you, we're not reading the entire chapter, but go back and read verses 1 through 6 and then even beyond uh, verse 17. So we're going to be in James chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 17. I'm reading from the NIV today. This is what it says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 
Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I will say that I've often read through the book of James and I tend to separate different aspects of what I'm reading. And often I would look through this particular chapter and at the beginning we were talking about humility, but here at the end he's talking about arrogance. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. They're not disconnected. They're not separate thoughts. All of these things come together as one. The first thing that I want you to see today is that humility is not something that merely happens by chance. Instead, it is an intentional decision that you must make. In fact, everything that we need, everything that we read from those first few verses indicates a personal choice regarding humility. I'm not going to read the entirety again, but listen to the first few verses. Submit yourselves. That is your personal decision. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. That requires a personal decision, and he will flee from you. Come near to God. Again, your decision, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands. Your decision again, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Again, your decision, you double-minded. You get the idea. I could continue to read. What we have here is over and over again, every primary action in this passage is based on our own personal decisions. It's not something that is forced upon us, but rather we must make the choice to humble ourselves. And I, I do have a side note for you here. If you'll notice almost every primary action also carries with it a secondary effect. For example, resist the devil, he will flee. Draw near to God or come near to God, he will come near to you. Humble yourselves, he will lift you up. I'll also add that such humility is greatly impacted by the condition of your heart. We're going to talk about the heart a good amount today. But I want you to understand that when the heart is right with God, it is much easier for us to make the right choice when it comes to humility. This is consistent with the entirety of Scripture. It's not just James talking by himself and it doesn't fit with the rest of what we read, but rather we see this echoed over and over again throughout the Scriptures. I think of Joshua's words to Israel as they prepared to enter the promised land. After 40 years of this journey, they have a new leader, and Joshua is telling them, we're about to do this. And in Joshua 3, 5, he says, sanctify yourselves, 
for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. The amazing things would include them walking across a river that was at flood stage, yet as they walk across, they walk across on dry ground. But before that journey would take place, he instructs them that you must sanctify yourselves. We know that it is God who does the redeeming work in an individual's life, yet God calls his people to choose this work for themselves. He says, sanctify yourselves. The term sanctify means to cleanse or to set apart for a special purpose. Well, they can't make themselves clean on their own. In fact, their righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags. It will never be good enough. But when they choose to be set apart for God's holy purposes, then God truly cleanses them as they truly need it to take place. Or consider Colossians 3.12. In this particular verse, there are many things that we are instructed to put on. So appropriate that she shared this this morning. One of which is humility. Listen to what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourself. My guess is that most of you get to dress yourselves each morning. You determine what you're going to wear. And spiritually, you must clothe yourselves with humility. In fact, it should not even be an optional thing. I have a friend who struggles significantly with OCD tendencies, obsessive compulsive disorder tendencies. She shared that one of the worst things for her is when she has more than one outfit for the day. She said it can take her over an hour to get dressed. Sometimes, in fact, on one occasion, she shared that it took her almost three hours and she finally decided, that's it, I'm staying home. Because there are too many options to be able to choose from. Well, humility was never intended to be an optional item in the attire that Christians would wear. We're not told here in Colossians that we might want to put on humility today. Or maybe tomorrow you can put on gentleness. And maybe you can put on patience the next day. But all of those things we're supposed to put on every day. You don't have a choice. If you are a part of the body of Christ, humility ought to be a part of what you clothe yourself every single day. You don't have to debate whether or not you want to wear it. You just wear it because you breathe. And perhaps one of my favorite verses regarding the need for humility is found in Galatians 5.13, which says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. God has called us. He has loved us. He has chosen us to receive freedom. But in our freedom, we are instructed to serve one another not as slaves who have to serve, but as brothers and sisters who love each other, humbly 
serving one another. There are countless other examples throughout the scriptures, but the point is that you must choose humility. It is a conscious choice on your part. I told you that there is an element of this that comes from the heart. I do believe that as the Spirit of God begins to dwell in us, that there are certain aspects of our actions and even the way we participate in those actions that will be changed. But understand that even though God is blessing you and he is calling you to do things different, we always need to recognize there is a choice associated with humility. We are called every day to die to our sin. I'm going to tell you, that is a humble act. God doesn't force that upon us. He invites us to that, to die daily to sin, to leave that behind. That is a humble act saying, I don't need to have it the way I've had it before. Instead, I want to die to my old self, and I want to be made new. God, you do in me whatever you feel like I need done. That is the humility that we must choose every day. Now, I will add that it's not always easy to choose humility. In fact, I would say that it is much easier for us to choose pride over humility. It comes naturally to us. You don't have to teach a kid to be prideful or arrogant. They figure it out on their own. And although I already stated that we need to put it on every day, maybe sometimes humility is one of those things that It comes and goes within a person's life. It shouldn't, but maybe it does. I was thinking of the Apostle Peter as an example of this. There are times that he displays incredible humility, while other times we see great pride. There are times that he speaks without thinking. Anybody relate to that? You didn't really have to raise your hand, but thank you. There are times he speaks without thinking, and he was certainly eager to have his voice heard. Yet he was also the one who asked Jesus before he decided, you know what, if he can walk on water, I'm going to do it too. Instead, he says, Lord, if you call me to come to you, I'll come out on the water to you. And of course, he did. Of course, perhaps the greatest example of pride was when he declared to Jesus that even if all of these other disciples should turn their back on you, Lord, I will remain faithful. That was the very same night that Jesus would be arrested. And guess what Peter did? That very same night. He would deny Christ three times before the rooster even crowed. When Jesus is sitting at the table with Peter that night, Peter is filled with such pride. He had to know, man, I got to be his favorite disciple. Jesus said, on this rock, Peter, your name, which means rock, on this rock I will build my church. There have been many times where Jesus would separate himself from all of the disciples, and typically he would take three of the disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. Do you think Peter ever thought, even among these three, I'm the man. At that particular meal, there is a discussion that breaks out among the disciples over which one of them is actually the greatest. wonder if Peter helped lead that discussion. We don't know. We just know that Jesus 
really never addresses it. Instead, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. See, he looked at the pride of others, but he modeled for them remarkable humility. That particular night, as Peter denies Christ three times before the rooster crows, we are told that when the rooster crowed, Peter went away and he wept bitterly. I would guess that he realized that his pride of being better than all of the other disciples was misplaced. Wasn't really as good as he thought that he was. But you know, a different Peter emerges in John chapter 21. It's after the resurrection, and Jesus and Peter find themselves on the beach when Jesus famously asked Peter three times, Do you love me? There's much more to the story, and I won't cover it all right now in today's message. But the last time Jesus asked Peter this question, we are told that Peter was grieved over the question, Peter, do you really even love me? You ever wondered why he was so grieved over that question? My guess is he might have even been grieved the first time Jesus asked that question. Certainly he was maybe bothered the second time that Jesus asked the question. I already answered your question. I already told you that I love you. But the third time we're told that he is grieved. Imagine as he pridefully answered Jesus days earlier. Even if everyone else betrays you, I will be faithful. My guess is that he genuinely believed that he was speaking the truth in that moment. But now Jesus has asked three times, do you love me? And I picture Peter wanting so much to be able to answer this question with an absolutely yes. Jesus, I am all in. I love you more than anything else. But now the pride has been removed. His response is basically, Lord, you know my heart. Go a little further. I would even venture to say, I, I hear Peter saying, Lord, you know my heart. You know whether or not I love you. I want to be able to say that I do, but I thought that the other day too. Maybe I'm not as good as what I thought I was. Lord, if you get asked the question, I don't even know. Do I really love you? I hope so. I think so. I want you to notice there is a difference in Peter's attitude. Failure can actually be a good thing. He is now speaking with humility. But, of course, humility is more than just feeling bad about yourself. There's two things in Peter's story. When we talk about humility, we see it in a couple ways. It is first a realization that maybe I'm not as great as I have believed myself to be. I heard an older minister share these words with me. He said, never believe your own press clippings. His idea was that you're never as good as other people think you are. And you're never as bad as other people think you are. He was right. And I think Peter was starting to understand that he was never as good as maybe 
even the other disciples, I wonder, did they look at Peter and think, oh, that's Jesus' teacher's pet there. That's the one that he's definitely the favorite. But the truth is, it didn't matter what other people said. The fact was, Peter was not as good as Peter thought that he was, or even what other people thought about him. The other thing we see in Peter's story is that humility would call him to obedience. In the days that would follow, Peter would be transformed from a man who was afraid to admit that he even knew Jesus into an incredible evangelist, declaring the salvation message on the day of Pentecost. But as he spoke that day, it wasn't with judgment for those who had betrayed Christ, certainly spoke with power and authority, yet he also spoke as one who knew brokenness and failure personally because he had already been there. In obedience, he spoke with humility. I told you that this is also about the heart. He does speak in obedience, but understand that there is a heart issue in, in play here too. You see, it was on the day of Pentecost, the very same day that Peter would obediently speak with a sense of brokenness but also authority. It was on that day that the Holy Spirit showed up and fills Peter and the other disciples. So as he speaks in obedience and humility, as he speaks, it's not just the words of a man, but rather it is God speaking in him. His heart was changed and therefore everything else about him had been changed. In today's passage, we see some specific benefits, some specific examples of humility leading to obedience. In verses 11 and 12, it says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Verse 12 that I just read, there is only one lawgiver and judge. Let me just tell you, it's not you. It's not me either. Humility puts all of us on level ground. That means that nobody is above the law. If you think you're better than somebody else, or you think that somehow you won't be held to the same standard as everybody else, you are mistaken. We all will one day stand before the lawgiver and judge. And in that day, we will be, be asked to give an account of what we've done with the grace that we have received. You say, well, I love God, but haven't always kept his commands. It's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. You see, the reality is God gave us the law for a reason. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, which means he still expected his people to live according to the law. And Jesus said in John 14 that if you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. 
There is this expectation that you will continue to live according to the law. In fact, you cannot separate the two. If you genuinely love me, obedience will follow. It's a willingness to say that not my will, but your will be done, Lord. I want to do it your way. I want to do it in accordance with what you tell me. I've got a lot of dreams. I've got a lot of plans. But God, what do you want? It's laying aside my will, my pride, saying, God, I want to do it your way. Well, I have one more thing that I want you to see from our passage today. Look at verses 13 to 17 real quick. It says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I want to challenge you to choose humility, but more specifically to choose humility today. It is urgent that we choose humility because none of us is guaranteed to be able to choose it tomorrow. On September 10th, 2001, 2,997 people went to bed thinking that tomorrow will be just like any other day. They would go, to, go into work. They would board airplanes. They would drop off their children at daycare. Tomorrow will be just like any other day. But it wasn't. Fortunately, not every day turns out like September 11, 2001. But what will tomorrow hold for you? None of us really knows for sure. For centuries, preachers have proclaimed that our time is short, that nobody is guaranteed tomorrow. I've seen individuals standing out on the street corners saying, repent, with signs that say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's a message that was even proclaimed during the time of Jesus. Maybe not with the same billboards and signs, but it's a message that has been proclaimed for a long time. Let me suggest to you that there are two very important applications to this. First, humbling yourself before God is not something that you can afford to put off. There are so many images that come to my mind Scriptural images. The first is of Isaiah, as he envisioned the Lord seated high and lifted up on his throne. And the train of his glory filled, the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. In Isaiah 6, he cries out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Standing in the presence of God, he was humbled by the greatness of God. And then I picture the wise men who approached the Christ child in the Christmas story. 
carrying their gold and their frankincense and myrrh. We've often heard these individuals referred to not merely as wise men. In fact, we have a song about them. We refer to them as kings. Yet they chose to humbly bow before an even greater king. Let me assure you that you are no greater than Isaiah or any of these wise men. Nobody knows when that day will come, but the scriptures clearly teach that there will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can choose to humble yourself, to honor his name and who he is now by your own personal choice, recognizing that he is much greater than you, no matter how else you might define it. Or you can be forced on the day of judgment to reluctantly plead for grace, realizing that Christ alone deserves such honor. I don't know about you, but I would much rather make that choice today while I still have time. See, the reality is, on that judgment day, understand this, I've said it before, but God's grace is much bigger than mine, and I am so grateful for that. But my understanding of the scriptures is when we come before the Lord, it will be too late for us to change our mind. Which means if we're going to humble ourselves before him, today is the day. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. But there's another aspect of this urgent humility. Just as we do not know when our day of judgment will come, we also do not know for sure that we will have another opportunity to make things right with our brothers and sisters. Now we're not talking about being urgent in our humility between us and God, but rather between us and man. I fear that there are many within the body of Christ who are plagued with bitterness and pride toward our brothers and sisters. Someone has done us wrong and we long for justice to take place. We want to make sure that things are done right and other people didn't see it the same way that we did and now we're offended by them. We know that we deserve to be respected and somebody else didn't show me the respect that I deserve. Oh man, I hate to say it, but there are many people in the church we are not truly living at peace with our brothers and sisters. As someone who I am very close with, who struggled with this for years, he sat in bitterness over the actions specifically of his father. And then one day he received a phone call. His father was in the hospital. They were not expecting him to survive. In fact, I was the one who made that phone call to him. That very same night, he visited his father in the hospital, and they made peace with one another. That next evening, his father died. It is only by grace that this individual was able to make peace in the closing moments of his father's life. Not everybody gets that opportunity. The unfortunate reality is that many of us will never receive that opportunity. So I challenge you now, don't wait until the very end 
to make peace with your brothers and sisters. Humble yourselves today and allow God's grace to flow into your life, but also through your life to others. Maybe the individual never comes around and says, you know what, I'm sorry. Sorry for the things that I've said. I'm sorry that I didn't respect you the way that I should have. I'm sorry that I just didn't think the way that you think. Who cares? Humble yourselves. This is an urgent need for the body of Christ. We need to be a people that reflect Christ today. As Jesus is being led to the cross, there were those who hurled insults at him. As Jesus hung on the cross, there were those who hurled insults at him. Without exception, not a single one of those individuals who insulted Christ was better than him. And he knew it. But we're told that as a lamb is led to the slaughter, so Jesus said nothing. He took it. If Jesus could show such powerful humility in the face of such ugliness, what is it that keeps us from being humble enough to allow ourselves to be broken down? If the Spirit of God dwells in you, that is His Spirit, and He brought humility with Him. Will you choose humility? Not just down the road, but today. Maybe today you need to go make peace with a brother or sister. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's bitterness that you have allowed to exist, and, and it's okay normally because you don't see them all the time, but you know it's there. And maybe today is the day that you need to go and humble yourself before them. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we do want to humble ourselves today. First of all, we want to humble ourselves before you. We recognize it is an honor to be able to come into your presence. We know that we are imperfect people, but you as a perfect God have invited us into the presence of an almighty God. Lord, I pray today that as we come into your presence, that we would recognize our place. If there be one here today that does not yet know you, I pray that right now you would forgive us of our sins, and I pray that you would make us right with you today with a sense of urgency. We don't know that we'll be guaranteed tomorrow, so make us right now. But I also pray that if there be one that is dealing with broken relationships, bitterness, anger, hurt over the past, that right now you would humble us enough that we could go and make peace with our brothers and sisters. Help us to reflect you, the Spirit of God dwelling in us as we urgently go and do something that's not always very easy. Help us to choose humility today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Well, honestly, this isn't really a fun message, because the truth is, it doesn't feel good to say that you need to humble yourselves. But I want to call you back to one thing that James said, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will do what? He will lift you up. When you humble yourselves before the Lord, he will bless you more than you could ever imagine. He will be the one to lift you up. Let him do the lifting. You don't have to do it yourself. Celebrate what he is going to do. But it begins with you being humble enough to do what he's called you to do. Thanks for being with us this morning. Go in peace.